listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Caitlin Parsons. Caitlin is currently a fifth grade teacher in Santa Barbara County. She believes that education is her ride-or-die profession. In fact, she cannot fathom doing another job for the rest of her life, and fifth grade is the perfect fit for her personality. It allows her to connect to her students through humor and love, two of her strong suits. She inherently believes in building relationships and cultivating a climate of kindness and shared unity in her classroom and has seen tons of success by laying these foundations. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before we get started, we are just wondering if you have any social media outlets that you would like to share with the listeners. Uh, yeah, I use Instagram. So um, my handle is Caitlin Marie Sprad, um, and uh, that's basically my primary source of sharing my education and stuff. Awesome. Thanks. So in your bio that you shared with us, you said that you believe that education is your ride and di- ride or die profession. Can you explain that or elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, basically I love being busy. I hate being idle. Like laziness is just not for me. Um, and so education is really something that you can never be done with. And, um, so I just don't feel that I would be fulfilled like in any other profession, like I am in education and I love the human interaction daily. So yeah, that's kind of why it's my ride or die. Yeah, so you said the human interaction daily. Now we're in COVID online. How are you getting your human interaction daily (laughs) for that? Yeah, um, it has been really challenging. Um, Obviously, Zoom has been awesome, you know, for my kiddos, but um, it's a fraction, not even a fraction of like my actual interaction day to day. Um, so that has been the hardest part. And I actually delivered a birthday cards, uh, Friday and Saturday to my kiddos. And one of my kids ran towards me and I was like, Oh, he's like, Oh yeah, I can't hug you. And I'm like, that just kills me. Like I hate that, you know? Yeah. That's rough. That stinks. (laughs) Um, one of the things that, that you also shared was that you wanted to teach high school. And so now you're in elementary school and as a former high school teacher, there's no way you can get me to teach elementary school. So, and, 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 and you've been doing really, really well. So, so what caused this um, transformation? Well, so I did an intro to education class in high school. So I didn't necessarily want to teach high school. Um, so I actually got placed in a kindergarten setting my first like trimester. And um, I fell love with the little ones like they were just so enamored to like be around me and they're just so cute um and then I actually did get placed in an avid uh sophomore class and I was like yeah this isn't my jam so um I've always done that um desire in high school and um and then I branched out after that class um and I started teaching Sunday school and I really fell in love with like the lesson planning aspect of it and so I was like, okay, I think this is like, this is my calling. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and I saw that in your bio that you wanted to teach since high school. So that's my bad. Maybe, <laughs> okay. maybe I was wishful thinking that I want you to teach high school. <laughs> yeah. He likes to project. It. I loved, um, yeah. <laughs> that's fun. So do you recall what your philosophy of education was when you first entered 
uh, college and your credentialing program and then as you were a new teacher and then how it grew to what it is today? Yeah, obviously in college, um, I start laughing, like thinking about it because it's so flowery and perfect. (laughs) Oh, you know, you want all students to learn all the standards according to, you know, through hands-on, um, you know, practices and stuff like that. Cause I went to Cal Poly. So it's a lot of hands-on, um, which I still totally believe in as far as the learning aspect, but I've completely, um, my philosophy has detached from the standardized learning to the like compassionate, emotional, like empathetic, uh, aspect of like teaching and how important that is to develop in like the young kids, the elementary age kids, because, um, if you don't learn that, you know, how to handle when you're angry or upset or, you know, how to talk to somebody, um, when you're sad, then, um, that's only going to create those bad behaviors later on. And then that creates a society that doesn't know how to deal with these emotions. And so, um, that's my philosophy where I'm at now is like, meeting those kids where they they're at trying to give them those resources so that they can, um, you know, deal with the emotional toll day to day, because I mean, look at what we're at now, you know, we really need those coping mechanisms. How are you using that part of your philosophy to address their needs in those areas now? So um, I've been doing weekly, like, Google form check-ins, you know, mm-hmm. how are you feeling, you know, like, it kind of, um, there's, like, I have a PowerPoint model, too, where there's, you know, a sad face, a happy face, a, you know, okay face, and then just kind of giving them an outlet to explain, like, why they're feeling that way, Yeah. Um, as well as the Zoom, I do Zoom lunches on Wednesdays and Fridays, and sometimes oh, um, cool. on Mondays. And um, for an hour, it's a long time mm-hmm. with 10-year-olds, um, but, <laughs> it's, a long but time. it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll do like a fun Kahoot on Disney characters or we'll, we cool. did the um, 10-finger game. And so just kind of getting them to socialize and see a friendly face. So it's been Tell really me more them. about what the 10-finger game is. Yeah. Oh, it's just like, um, you know, um, I, I, I was telling them like, um, I've never had Wendy, Wendy's. So if you've had Wendy's, you have to put a finger down. And so we just played that cool. game and it was really fun because I have a couple kiddos that don't put their video on because they're just a little self-conscious at mm. this age and they put their, their video on so that they could show their hands. Oh, so cool. it was, it was super fun. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm, one of the things that I, that I always think about when, when I talk to people like, like you that are, that are in elementary ed, that are really involved in the social, social, emotional aspect of, of, of kids um, I know for for me as kind of like a high school type of framework w- within my own mind, um, how does one build empathy for for kids when you know we when you know we're adults and we and we've gone through a whole string of life and now we're back with ten year old kids that you know I you know I just couldn't tell them hey look get over it <laughs> you know um, mm. and so so how you know how. How do how did you build build empathy back for for your for your kids? Well, um, I think it really goes back to um, when I started doing my research for my master's project, um, the morning meeting, and like sitting down with them and having those just like real conversations. You know, um, hey, have you guys ever had somebody lie to you? 
oh yeah, all of a sudden all the hands are raised, you know, and just kind of talking through those things like, oh, well, how did that make you feel? And like, you know, we wouldn't go, I would always preface, you know, we're not going to go into names and details, but you know, how did that make you feel? How did you react to that? You know, are you less trusting of that person after that? The fact, yeah. Is there any way that you can gain back that trust? We also did that activity that's really iconic where you take the paper and you crumple it and you throw it around the room and then you say, okay, well, can we unwrinkle this paper? Well, not really. It's going to be really hard to do that. And so just kind of giving them those um, actual physical, tangible things to align with these untangible emotions. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's kind of just how I, I, I roll in my classroom is we're very real. Like it's every second is a teachable moment. So like when something happens, whoa, like, why'd you throw that? Mm. I wasn't thinking, okay, well, let's try and think before we do that. Because, you know, how'd that make you feel? Yeah, I was scared. I didn't like how he did that, you know? And and so then it just is addressing those, um, like I said, those unconscious um, reactions that kids have and really putting like their motives behind it and um, trying to get them to stop and think, which is really hard at, you know, 10 years old. But it's been, it's been really cool. You mentioned your master's project. What can you tell us a little bit about what that was? Yeah, so it was all on social emotional. I loved it. It's all on social emotional uh, learning and just kind of um, trying to get the kids to really check in. And so I um, used the model of the morning meeting. So every morning there would be a message in the back of the room for them to read and it would be our focus and it would tie in somehow usually to academics but they wouldn't know that at first and we would come and sit on the rug we'd say good morning to one another every single morning so they got used to um hearing all the names they knew all the students in the classroom I have 34 so it's a lot of kids that is um and then we would read the message we discuss yeah we play a game and it really just you could see like it allowed me as the educator to see who had a bummer day who was just amped to go, who might have had, you know, maybe not the best night's sleep. And then um, the interactions between the peers, you knew when someone was fighting with somebody because they weren't sitting next to each other, you know, so it was just, um, it was awesome. And it really, the kids one day out of the whole, you know, school year, we couldn't do the morning meeting because we had an assembly and they freaked out. They're Hmm. like, no, 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 we need to do the morning meeting later. I'm like, okay. So we pushed it. So the kids just love that routine. Yeah, it was awesome. So now, re, reflecting back, because it's been, what, about about a good year since you've been done? Yeah. Um, what is your takeaway from that, from, from your master's? Okay. So um, after doing that, it wasn't just the positive, like, interactions between peers, which is awesome. But, like, there was data to prove that their scores, their test scores, we were using um, Achieve 3000, which is a um, Lexile comprehension-based reading, like, assessment platform. And they read these um, articles at their own Lexile, and then they ask, like, about uh, four to eight questions on comprehension. And I not only had more students taking them per day than before because they were more motivated and just more energized, I also had their percentages go up by I can't remember exactly, but I want to say it was like 10%. So it was an outstanding like amount of growth. And it was Mm -hmm. all because these kids were just more engaged and more connected in the classroom. That's really cool. Um, Have you, have you shared this with your, with your own colleagues? Oh, yes. I, this year, so that was my last year student, and they were a hard group in general, but then I got this group, and I was like, oh boy. And I started, (laughs) I started doing the morning meetings, and I, I prayed every day because I was like, God, like, 
this is more work to do the morning meeting and get them from the rug back to their desk just because the mass amount of bodies at 34 kids. And so, um, like I said, did a lot of prayer because, like I said, I wanted to get rid of it. But I stuck with it. And, you know, at first it was very joking because they had never had this before. And I had heard that from second grade, this group was labeled like, you know, they're the horrible group. They're the worst group you're going to get, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I, you know, some days I felt like giving up because it just took it all out of me in 30 minutes in the morning. And I still had, you know, five and a half more hours with them. Um, But by being patient and really continuing to do that, they started to just transform. Like it was the most amazing experience. I mean, it took months. It was not easy. Um, So anyone that thinks it's going to just like, you know, if you have a hard group that you're just going to do it for two days and then it's perfect. No. Um, But I'm so glad I stuck with it. I had like groups of kiddos in my class that were like in kind of small gangs that were against each other. And so that they would plan to fight after school. Hmm. And by the time we left for um, the, you know, online learning platform, because of all that, they were friends, they were hanging out, they had completely stopped, like, you know, bullying each other. It was awesome. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool that you can see somewhat immediate results based off yeah. of that practice. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I think within one school year, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what's, I, I, I really, I'm really glad what you said because it's, it's, it's very true. Oftentimes we, as we, as teachers were, we're given something new and we expect immediate results mm-hmm. from it. Um, but if it's, but if we look at our own life, when we're, when we're learning something new, we're not going to learn it that, that same day. Um, and so I, I think that's, that, that's, that's one of the keys that as, that as educators that, that we really need to understand is that things are going to take time. Um, you know, you know, people, people aren't going to change overnight. I'm not going to change overnight and especially kids. I was just going to say, um, in the day and age where everything is an instant, you know, you can lose 10 pounds in five days by doing this, or you can, you know, get a, <laughs> an Amazon package in two days, yeah. you know, or, you know, all of that instant, um, gratification. Mm-hmm. That's the most challenging part of working in this time frame of, um, education is That's because that instant gratification is so ample in our society, but it's not necessarily what is the product in our classrooms every day. And so, um, beautiful. Yeah. 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 Sticking with that is, you know, you just have to have that perseverance and the patience. That's the one thing that I continually ask God for is more patience because, you know, I I just, I'm working on that with my husband as well. So (laughs) (laughs) that's going to be eternal. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, but Freddie brought up a good point too, is in my doc program, we had a class on how people learn. And one of the assignments for us as adults, because we don't often try new things very often, was to learn something new and document it and reflect. And it was throughout the entire semester and then provide, you know, like a project uh, to present on that. But that was for us to remember how hard it is to learn something new. So when we're, you know, back teaching adults or teaching, you know, a new group of people, a new skill, just to remember that uncomfort and be okay with that uncomfort in that learning process and not expect immediate results and let it happen, yeah. let the process happen. And, and so you were, you were talking about, um, 
you know, well, as we're, as we're talking about how, how we are now, um, can you reflect back to when you were your, your, your own kid's age? Um, how are things different? How are they the same? Yeah. So it's so hilarious that I'm having the podcast now. It's almost a blessing in disguise because I went to pick up six boxes. Yes. Six. I had six boxes of things that I had packed up before college that I haven't looked at in 10 years. It's been 10 years since since high school. Hmm. And I had packed up all my like younger age things. So everything from like birth till high school was in there. And looking back at that, I had some letters that I had written to my parents, to my friends. And, um, it was just not only nostalgic, but just, it reminded me of how like the the pure innocence and the pure amount of like, whenever something is happening, whether you're sad, happy, angry, it's then and there, like it is right on your forefront and how, for me, an outlet was writing. So I would always write letters or write in my diary. And so those are hilarious to read. Um, but that's, that was my way of coping. And so I go back to thinking about my kids now in that, this, this time frame, and try and figure out what are coping mechanisms that they can have in order to deal with all the feelings that they're feeling. Cause we go yeah. through a range of emotions daily from, you know, 8am till 9am, yeah. you know, even sometimes. So, um, I think like that's the biggest like thing I can remember is those feelings just being very, you know, emotional. <laughs> and maybe that hasn't changed a whole lot since I've been an adult. Cause when I feel like sad, it's like, I feel sad. Like, and I can really relate to other people. And I can see that in some of my students in class is they get so emotional because they're feeling like so deeply of being hurt or, sure. you know, or being angry. And so, um, yeah, like I'm just trying to work that into how I teach. So now, are you? Um, I, you know, you you were you were sharing that when 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 you were younger, you would write a lot of things down. Are you as reflective now as a as a fifth grade teacher? I am reflective in the manner of um, I've adapted from writing everything down to taking pictures of everything, which is a little <laughs> oh, bit, cool. oh gosh, you know, <laughs> yeah. So I have thousands of pictures on my phone and I am constantly taking pictures of student work, of student interactions. And that's the one thing um, that I've helped build our classroom family is by posting those pictures on um, my uh class dojo with the parents and I get comments every single year um wow I've never seen my kids like learn in the classroom before I've never seen them Mm. you know on a field trip you know you know documenting what they're doing you know we went to Cal Poly and did a science lab I've never seen that before you know thank you for sharing that um and that's I sit on the couch and go through and remember you know classes and the things that we did and how I've evolved that lesson plan or you know whatever. So that's kind of how I reflect a little bit nowadays. Cause I don't have as much time to like write everything down, you know, but yeah. yeah, that's, that's cool because a lot of times we take a bunch of pictures and then we keep them in our phone until our phone runs out of space and then <laughs> who knows what happens to them. But, um, I like that you're sharing them with the, with the families and that you are reflecting on them too. And it's, it's a nice way. It's a nice way to have a portfolio for that student from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, just to see how much they've grown physically and and um, and then also their work. So that's that's fun. Yeah, yeah. I also um, 
there's like power in printing out those photos. And there's been a lot of evidence to show that the kids that see their themselves in photos, Mm -hmm. like in the home, especially have better self-confidence. So I have probably 250 photos on my wall in my classroom of this year. Wow! So that's something, and they have each have their own picture frame with their face in it. and, And it says like, I am, awesome or I am kind or so then they're seeing that daily and it totally does just amp up that room energy yeah and we just feel more united and I'll go and post those new pictures and they'll go and run over in the mornings and they get so excited to see themselves so that's fun I love that so do you use um PBLs in your classroom and then if you do do you have a favorite that you want to share and talk about so um I have used project-based learning before um like like curated lesson plans but um I kind of do it like on my own when I create lessons Mm -hmm. so my favorite unit that I use every single year because my kids just I'm it's without fail every single one enjoys it um is I I kind of took the scholastics um old school, I think it's from like the 1990s or 80s, where it's, um, they're doing a almost play role play. And so they pretend to be explorers leaving from port, they all take their, um, you know, positions as captain or steward, or, you know, um, somebody mopping the deck, the, the doctor, and then they roll dice. And I was because if you don't have that in place, like you're going to give up within 20 minutes. But um, they have an absolute fun time um, designing their ships. They um, We do a STEM activity. So I, I, two years ago, started building in STEM. So they have to build a boat and make sure that it can outstand weight. Um, I bring in writing. So they're writing in their journals and documenting it as a, a first-person narrative. Um, obviously, the social studies aspect is right there. It's exploration. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's kind of my big PBL project that I do every year, but I would say that I try and incorporate as much as I can because we have such limited time in the classroom. So that sounds really fun. And, and do you have like, do you share these lessons with other teachers or like other teachers at your school? Yeah. Oh yes. So, um, I'm super close with my grade level. Unfortunately, we got a little dismantled this year because we got cut from four to three fifth grade teachers. Um, but we work really collaboratively. And so, um, and, and the one that left, she went to another elementary, but we all will plan once a week usually. So I'm constantly sharing lessons and ideas and Hey, when you do this lesson, make sure you take the water away first, you know, or make sure you do this. And so we hear those little tidbits. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's great. Um, one of the things that you're, that, that, that you shared, um, was that, um, that you have this edX club, um, which I know me and Malia knows something, a little something about it. So, so can you, can you share why you, why you wanted to why you wanted to start this? What do you do? Um, how, how have your own kids and, and families responded to it? Yeah. Um, so last year we started the club and I had a very unique group of kiddos that um, quite a large cluster of gate students who were very just um, aware of, you know, the problems in the world. And I'm like, you're 10 and you're talking about, you know, global warming and writing to the senators and Funny enough, I wrote to a senator when I was in high school about global warming. I have it, Barbara Boxer. Wow. So I, I like, I connected with these kids, and I'm like, you're seeing these problems, yeah. 
you know, and you're, you're 10, but you can do something about it. And the fact that, you know, they were voicing this, I knew that, uh, you know, Ed Axe would be great to start. And so we talked about the microplastics and how much trash on campus we had. And they just felt compelled that like, you know what, we need to fix this. And so it was like a perfect avenue, like as we were having these discussions during these morning meetings and stuff, um, that um, Fred reached out and said, you know, do you think that this would work at your school? And I said, yeah, I've got a group of kids that are already like in this mindset. And so it evolved from there. And um, we've done, um, we adopted the park next to our school. So we do um, bi-monthly cleanups there. And then we do my bi-monthly cleanups on campus. And then we've gone to the local um, retirement home. We've done um, fundraisers for ALS. Um, so it's kind of blossomed into other things as well. It's a community service club. So Wow, that sounds great. And these, these ideas are initiated by the students? Yeah. So we'll have like a lunch meeting, usually once a week or once every other week. And it's a time where they can have lunch with me, which they love. And then we just kind of start spitballing, you know, like, well, what would we like to do? We did a clothing drive or not a clothing drive. We were going to do that this year, but we did a canned food drive last year for a local shelter and the kids just start, you know, saying what's on their mind. Well, you know, it's getting colder. What about jackets? Or, Mm. you know, what about the beginning of the year? Students that don't have money, can we put together backpacks? I'm like, yes. Like all these things were um, coming from them. Yeah. Yeah. Super thoughtful. So can you tell us a little bit about your students and how you take them from where they are to where you wish them to go with their own learning? Yeah, so um, I obviously teach in a very low economic area, um, almost 100, it's about 98% are on free and reduced lunch. Um, So I have all walks of life, you know, kind of in my classroom. And, um, you know, I have students who their parents have been in prison. I have students who are in foster care, um, just everything you could imagine and and more, unfortunately. Um, So that's why it's so powerful to do those like um, social emotional learning and things because sometimes they don't know how to cope with how they're feeling. So I don't like to jump into the academic. I mean, we have to because it's school, yeah. but I really form those relationships early on. So I do small lunches, like the first three weeks of school. So I'll do like five kids at lunch and I allow them to bring a friend so that they don't feel like, well, I, I like the teacher, but I don't really want to eat with her. I want to have my friend with me. So then it's <laughs> 10 kids, but I'm still getting to know them. And then yeah. usually, you know, you'll have a pop- popular kid that will be in there, you know, every single lunch because they got chosen. But you just kind of get to know them and cultivate that relationship. And then they can trust you. I also have a box in my um classroom. It's a mailbox. And it allows them to write me a note if they don't want to talk to me personally. So if something's going on or they just want to share something, you know, um, they can tell me it's private or they can tell me that I can share it with the class. So sometimes I get something like I didn't sleep well or I haven't had dinner or, um, you know, my mom and dad are fighting. I'm afraid they're going to get a divorce. And then I get things like I'm getting a new puppy, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been really awesome for like building relationships as well. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I'm just kind of an open door policy. So anytime they need me, I'm pretty much there. I mean, it sounds like you really do care about their socio-emotional growth and it's really embedded in all of the things that you do throughout your classroom. So that's, I mean, that's the way you have to do it to be successful at it. So great job. 
And so, so how are you, you dealing? You know, how are you dealing with COVID? I mean, you know, because here you are, you're like this outgoing and you want to hug your kids and you're doing all this stuff. Um, one of the things that I've, that I'm, that I'm interested in and I'm concerned about too, is that we're not asking teachers and staff and, and also administrators how they're doing. So how is all this stuff going on? It's been hard, like to say the least. Um, they're just, it's yeah, it's not what I signed up for. <laughs> um, and I even the other day, it was just so challenging. I was like, I don't know if I can do this if we're going to do online learning again. Um, just because it's, it's really taxing when my favorite part of teaching is the kids. And so when I don't really get to see them or interact with them, um, it really takes, you know, 60% of my positivity of my job away. Um, so yeah, it's been really emotional. So I've basically had to make myself go for walks, go ride my bike, go walk on the beach because I just get really down. I miss my kids a lot. So Mm. yeah, it's been hard. Now, are there, is the, is, is the district doing, doing anything for, for their faculty and staff? Yeah. My district basically had us, you know, do a three hour PD last week. And um, they send us emails from, no joke, six in the morning until I think the latest I got almost like 11 p.m. Um, so it's just, um, it's challenging to disconnect um, from that. Um, so like I said, I have to really take care of myself because they're not taking care of us um, as employees. So I've just been getting out. We've been um, biking to the local farm stand, getting some like berries and stuff like that, going to the beach. Um, That's helped, but it's, I don't know. It's really challenging. A lot of teachers have said that they enjoy the online learning, but I, it's just not for me. And it's not for 90% of my kids. You know, I only have about 12 kids online weekly out of 34. Wow. So it's very inequitable because, you know, some parents are not there to support them. Um, you know, they, yeah, I have a lot of parents still working so, or sick. And so, um, you know, I can't blame them and that's why we're not holding them accountable for grades right now. Um, but I just can't imagine doing another year like this. I, I said I would volunteer to go in. I'm like to Mm -hmm. that point, you know, like I'll go in, I'll be the teacher there because, this is just not my thing. Yeah. Learned a lot, but yeah. Yeah. I wonder if like a team teaching kind of aspect would work where you could partner with another teacher who prefers to teach online where you do the infant in, you know, school and your partner does the online, but you share kids. That might be something that would be workable. Well, it's sad to see that funding's going to be cut quite a bit again so at least in California so yeah that's rough it's really rough because I would say that funding is even more important now especially to provide access to those who don't have it because it's a necessity at this point yeah so so let's brighten things up a little bit if you had a magic wand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you had three three wishes for your for your kids um, and and or your school. What would those three wishes be? So my number one wish, like if I only had one, this would be like 
what I would have to ask for is that just my kids would feel loved at home um, and that somebody would be there to support them emotionally and, and not physically, but just like there and, and there to kind of cheer them on. Um, because sometimes that's the hardest part in my classes. They've never had somebody that like truly deeply cares about them and is willing to fight for them, even when they've been really mean and nasty towards me, but I'm still there greeting them in the mornings. They just assume that I'm going to brush them off. And so I wish that every single one of my kids would have that unconditional love at home and support. Um, yeah. And then my second wish would be that they didn't have social media at this age. (laughs) Um, it's created a lot of complexes. It's created a lot of, um, challenges as an educator. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm all for them communicating and voicing their opinions and having outlets for things. But unfortunately, the social media is not filtered enough for those young guys. And so there's a lot of things that they're being exposed to that, I mean, I can't even fathom. Yeah. Um, And then my third wish, um, my wish for them is, would be to all experience something that like they want so greatly and to fail at, but to, to still persevere through it. Because I know that that is challenging and as emotional and like, you know, how much you can hurt from it. You grow so much more after you get through that, whether that be a relationship not working out, um, a sport not working out, um, you know, failing on a test and going back and, um, you know, asking for support and help and studying harder. Um, but just something that they've wanted so badly, but n- not to get and then to learn, learn from that and keep going. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really good because one of the things that, as you, as you know, when we first started about, well, when we first started talking about edX, you know, you and I were kind of in that, in that same mind mindset that failure is good. You know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful way to learn. Um, because once we fail, we found something that didn't work. So, um, now let's, you know, now let's try to find something else. Yeah. Um, It's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, we do like to ask for our guests call to action. So one thing that our listeners could take away from you and maybe you could share what your call to action would be. Yeah, um, I was thinking about that very, like, deeply because um, I'm like, what is the, you know, sometimes you feel very um, minuscule in this world, especially now with everything going on. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that the biggest thing or the greatest thing that's come out of this is people seem to be more kind. They seem to smile harder. The <laughs> the takeaway that we can't hug each other has only made us want to hug every single person we see and shake hands. So I just, um, my action or my call to action is just to continue to show compassion and love and kindness to everyone and um, hoping that in doing so, it creates that ripple effect that I totally believe in. Um, and it might not be right, you know, instantaneously, but hopefully down the line that that comes back around. And so I think if everyone can kind of just take a step back and pause and really reflect on that and try and do that in their everyday life. We can really have a much better world. That's beautiful. 
That's poetic. And I think that's a great place for us to end (laughs) this on. Caitlin, thanks so much for your time today. And thanks for sharing um, your classroom and your practices with us. And I think that there's so much that uh, educators could learn from you. So we appreciate all your heart and love that you pour into your students. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome.